Hello and welcome to another episode of Northwest Supply. Myself, John Cleary, co-founder of Claytech, and my uh, my co-host Zach Giorgio. Say hi, Zach. Hi. And today on the episode, we have got Simeon Breen. He's the CTO over at Hello Soda. Uh, we want to hear all about that really interesting company. Uh, hi, Simeon. So thanks for coming on the show. Hi. Really interesting company. Um, I have know a little bit about it, but before we get into uh, that, I want to find out a bit about you and your long and interesting career in tech and how you got into it. So... Do you mind maybe just starting off? Just tell us a bit about yourself and um, how you got into into tech. Well, that, that could be a long conversation. So <laughs> keep that one brief. That's <laughs> a long history in tech. Um, but I think, you know, from being at school, always being involved in, in computers, in a computer club at school and things like that. Strangely, though, when I went to do a degree, I did a degree in mechanical engineering. And as part of that, there was quite a lot of computing, computer science, programming involved in that. I realised that actually I did the wrong degree. I wanted to do that. Um, so after two years, I said I wanted to change the computer science degree. Uh, they did say at that time that it wasn't possible to just swap over. I'd have to start from year one again, you know, which I wasn't keen on doing. So I kind of dropped out from uni, dropped out from doing my degree. And I did one of these um, kind of intensive courses where you then get a placement at the end and, and actually gained a City and Guild qualification in, in um, application programming, which is quite bizarre. Um, but anyway, yeah, I was placed at a business in sale in Manchester as a, a junior trainee programmer um, and, and never looked back really. That, that was the, the start of that career. So programming was your first love, if you like, your first uh, career. Did you ever go back to any of the mechanical engineering? Has that, that ever popped up in the past, In sorry, in your career since then? Or is I, it I think actually, I think it's given me a good standing because I've always been interested in the mechanical side and the physical side um, and the electronics side of computing as well. So I'm equally at home, you know, pulling a laptop apart, rebuilding, putting new parts back in it to cabling in the office and things like that, where I think traditionally a lot of programmers from a comp side background perhaps never really get exposed to that kind of more IT and infrastructure kind of side of things. So that's been part of my tool set, as it were, going forwards is on that side as well. So make you a bit more of an all-rounder then? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I've actually got a friend who's... Uh, he I may have mentioned this before, he's over at uh, Deloitte, but he did uh, a completely different degree. So he's obviously working for one big four, but now he started off doing geology or something. Mm-hmm. Just he's like, that's what I want to do at uni. And it doesn't have to necessarily be a career uh, path straight out of that one to the other. But obviously you right. you did go in with the intention of doing one and then obviously flip. So that's that's quite, yeah. that's pretty interesting. What about after that then? So um, I don't. We're not. We're not looking for um, an audio CV. Obviously, <laughs> just want to know know a bit about you. Like maybe pick out highlight. Like some company you worked for prior to Hello Soda, that was like um, maybe it was a step up for you or something that was a real challenge. Yeah, I, I mean, I had a few kind of standard programming jobs, moving up to tech lead, that kind of thing. I then went and joined a business which was then bought out by a, an international PLC. So that was a company called Datalex, and they specialised in, in reservation systems, um, information systems for tier one airlines and travel companies. Um, so I started off in there working, you know, as a programmer, then moving into the sales team as a pre-sales consultant. Oh, so wow. the great thing about that was it, I got to work on some really big projects. You know, people like Emirates were rebuilding their entire IT infrastructure. The project as a whole would be a $100 million project. There'd be IBM involved. 
there'd be um, SAP involved, there'd be Delight managing the whole thing, and we'd be in there as well with the reservation side. So working on really massive projects, you know, a thousand people on the project in a building in Dubai working on this. And, and obviously getting to travel the world a lot as well. So one week I'd be in Dubai, next week I'd be in Johannesburg, week after that I'd be in Atlanta. So that was that was a good experience. I did that for, for a few years, always with the technical aspect, but you know, and I think that's where I first got that commercialization as well. So I got, because I was very involved in the sales cycle, very involved in the reasons why customers were, were using the technology that they wanted, um, getting involved in a whole commercial aspect, which was really good. Brilliant, back when we could fly, Interesting one. Um, I love that little comment there, John, about the flying part. It's really interesting that you sort of mentioned uh, the commercial side of things, Simeon, because I think there's such a sort of belief within IT that IT people are techies and that's what it's all about. However, I'm sort of fascinated by how the world's changing, evolving, and, and certainly how IT's become so, and well, tech's become so embedded in everything that we do. Do you think that's sort of a massive thing now in regards to how individuals need to be far more commercial? Because, you know, we've talked about it before in the past, and many developers will say, you know, they just like developing, they're just into the techie part, you know, they're not into the, the sort of communication. A lot will be the opposite, be quite com communicative. However, how important do you think being very commercial as a techie is nowadays across the platform as well, not just at your level? Yeah, I think it is very important. I think there will always be the space for and a place for people who are just really technical and just want to sit in that back room and not you know, talk with people and just get on with the coding. I think there'll always be a space for those kind of people. Um, but I think more and more communication within the team, within the business is really important. Um, particularly in these days as well, when we're all remote, we're all doing Zoom meetings and you can't just turn up into a meeting and sit in the corner and, and not, you know, not be a part of it. It's important that people are in part of these conversations. So right at those grassroots levels, right the way through to understanding why is it that I'm writing this function? It's because it's going to be part of this product, which helps our customers do X, Y and Z. Um, I think any programmer who, who has that kind of knowledge and has that thirst for those kind of aspects of the role, can, can go much further yeah definitely no, I completely agree I think developers or technical people who have more commercial awareness are more highly valued now and there's a you know new roles for those people not just leading teams but in you know your head of engineering CTO space where they they have to you know manage upwards and manage downwards and it, there's a lot to the role but something another thing that you said that was really important is under, for everyone in the business developers every the techies non-techies to understand the what value they're bringing you say it's not just about writing an optimized function to do something whereas that is your job like i've literally asked you to do that but the reason i want you to do that is this and if you can find another way to to achieve the same result without writing any code you might say oh just download it off here or you know you can do it in excel like whatever the answer is finding a solution is what we're interested in not necessarily you know doing the, the job that you've the task you've been asked but it's actually finding the solution to the problem well that's really cool thank you for that um so tell us then about hello soda this is the i want a very interesting company right they're doing leading edge technology in a really important space do you want to um, I, I don't want to do a poor description i'll let you do the spiel maybe uh me and tell us like what it is that hello soda do and then we'll find out about your role there hello soda is all about identity verification we do this in a number of ways and, and, and the kind of customers that use us are, are anyone who needs to 
automate the processes of onboarding customers and, and to validate their identity. So that can be from online gaming, online gambling, crypto wallets, crypto exchanges, retail finance, um, e-wallets, um, things like that. Depending on the customer, there's different things that they really want to pinpoint. So for example, online gambling, they really want to know you're over 18 and they really want to know you live in the UK or whatever country it is you say you live in. They may be not as worried that you live at that particular first line of that address um, and maybe other, other aspects. Whereas other businesses, retail finance, for instance, um, they really want to know that you live where you say you live because they're probably going to be delivering things there. So for different customers, different kind of risk factors that they may have and different ways of, you know, different aspects of our solution that they will use. The three main ways that we do the, the verification is either using social data. So we're all very consensual that you can log in via Facebook. We absolutely list exactly what the data is that we can use. We only use it for that single application, get rid of the data afterwards. But then from that, we can then glean, you know, your name, your location, um, your birth date from that information, also back that up from the information in your social footprint. The second main way is using identity documents. So take a picture of your driving license, your passport, do a selfie. We can do a bio match between those two as well. And then from there, we can also, you know, get the, the name, the address, et cetera, details from those documents and use those as part of the identity verification. And the third way is using utility data. So again, consensually, we can gain access to your utility bill and get the you know the, the details from there and then what we do obviously we, we've got all that data we back that up with other data sources so what's called peps and sanctions so we have a list of databases of people who are on a politically exposed list or on a sanction list sanctioned by a government or a, or a bank um, we also have access to a list of stolen identities which are for sale on the dark web also mobile validation email validation credit reference bureau information as well so we can bring all that data together to give a, a full picture of the identity. And we, you know, we give all that data to our customers, but we also have a data science function so we can build our insights upon that and go back with scorecards to say, yeah, their name matches in three of those five sources, um, but it's different in these two sources. You know, maybe everything is all authenticated, but that passport number is on the dark web as a document that's for sale. So is this, you know, maybe that rings an alarm bell. Is this really that person or is it someone who's bought their identity? That's great. You, I think you might have almost answered my next question, which was, I know you have data scientists there. Yes. And it sounds like you've got a lot of data, but I don't know how much science you need to do to verify a passport or verify someone are who they say they are from their you know, social accounts. So what, what are your data scientists up to on a daily basis? A lot of the data science that we do is, is, is around very good statistical analysis. So, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to get all these sets of data, compare them and come up with a score. But what does that score mean? You know, what does a score of seven out of 10 mean? Um, and is that score of seven out of 10 consistent? Does it mean the same now that it meant six months ago, 12 months ago? So it's about building up these scores, uh, making sure there is a distribution of those scores within the population. So, you know, therefore you can pinpoint yeah, anything between seven and 10 as a pass anything between three and zero is a fail and that bit in between is where you can adjust it for your um, fraud um, profile. Also ensuring that it isn't very peaky in terms of the, the graphs so that everyone is between 6.5 and 7. You know, there's a good even distribution of people as well. 
Fantastic, interesting, it's fascinating, isn't it? What you guys do, absolutely brilliant. And and this might sort of come across as a silly question to a degree, but you know, there's all these businesses you've been around, all these businesses in Manchester, and no way you were pretty much looking at that time because I'd spoken to you. What was it that not necessarily appealed to Hello Soda because it clearly says it on the tin, but was there certain things that appealed? And and why did Hello Soda? set up in Manchester why didn't they set up in Leeds or in London or you know what was it about this particular area well for the first question the reason was about the passion and the focus within the business that was already there um, particularly with the CEO uh, who, was, who was the founder of the business he had a real focus on what Hello Soda was about how it was helping not only its customers but the end users um, get access to services they wouldn't normally be able to get access to so there was that whole passion and focus about it that was a key aspect to me. Also, you know, in terms of they knew where they were going and, and they built some fairly decent tech, you know, the kind of things we were involved in, it was, was pretty interesting. So the whole picture and the whole package was of interest. As to why Manchester, uh, you know, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure. I know um, the CEO was based in Leeds beforehand, or a company based in Leeds. Uh, but I think at the time, Manchester was seen as a, an up-and-coming tech hub. Uh, it's certainly proven that now that it is well established as a, a great tech hub in the in the UK. So it's certainly a good decision. Yeah, and it's certainly doing that at the moment. I was reading something the other day, which I'm, I'm, I'm I could be wrong to so don't quote me. I'm pretty sure I read something that said that it had overtaken Cambridge for investment last year. Or, or, yeah, that's right. Now number two in the UK behind London. Yeah, which is amazing, really, because I think that's sort of you know if we think about places like Cambridge that. You know, not just tech, but that whole sort of advanced engineering piece and all, everything that, well, everything that Cambridge was built for pretty much, wasn't it? And spawned from, you know, the, the 45 minutes to London, there you are, you're right in a city, blah, blah, blah. And what it was there to, to do, for Manchester to have leapfrogged it from an investment perspective is amazing. And I think what's really good about Manchester as well is it's not just investment into startups and ramp ups, that there are some big firms moving into the city, you know, with um, Amazon and Land Rover and then other big tech companies around the Northwest that are building their presence into Manchester as well, like Bet365, Money Supermarket, um, traditionally being, you know, Stoke and Cheshire. Uh, actually coming through into Manchester as well. So it's it's building that whole tech hub, not just via startups, but um, for a wide range of businesses. Yeah, and it's interesting, like you say, because there was that whole culture of the startup thing in Manchester and there was the whole culture of the sort of, there was the Northern Stars thing and it was all centred around, I mean, it wasn't just centred around Manchester, to be fair, there was up, up Newcastle and Leeds. But what's interesting as well now, looking at it, is, is some of the, like you say, interestingly, some of the unicorns that I hear, you know, I mean, you, you hear the word unicorn, don't you? And you sort of think billion pound companies, but you know, you from the likes of Boohoo, which in reality still sits on the cusp of what Manchester was all about, which was the mills and textiles and mm. stuff like that. So the likes of, I think, I don't know if Bet365 is a unicorn, but certainly the Hook group is, isn't it? You know, which is sort of, I think they've got the base in the city centre now as well, but you know, like you say, other people have been attracted here, like your Amazons and your B the BBC. I think the BBC probably, um, although we don't want to talk too much because otherwise Salford will probably say that's in Salford, not in Manchester. <laughs> is it greater Manchester? Do we? <laughs> My geography is, it's kind of Manchester. Is Manchester enough? Depends what it's team. The M on the, on the, you know, the, the tram has still got an M on it. It's not an yeah. S. <laughs> Depends what tier you want to think you're in. That's the difference. Ooh. I'm, I'm East Cheshire now, Zach, so I'm not actually, I'm, I'm about a quarter of a mile from East Cheshire, 
Exactly. Let's not talk tears, otherwise we'll all probably get upset and argue with Yeah. You. No, but I think we've definitely, I've definitely got our LinkedIn soundbite there, Denise, from uh, everything that Simeon is saying about Manchester being a tech hub and, you know, being an all-rounder. I absolutely agree. Um, you know, we're very lucky, but I think we're very lucky in the region in general. It's, you know, the other cities and the other areas around, like sort of feeding into it has really helped. And what I think is also quite cool is you get, you've got companies like On The Beach who have been in Manchester for a long time and they've moved into the city. Like they had a presumably cheaper uh, office outside the city and they decided to move in. Obviously pre-pandemic, they, was, they were thinking, this is how we get more of the kind of talent we want because we want to be closer to the hub, not just on the periphery. So it'd be interesting to see if any businesses were following that suit are going to change direction um, but presumably you're still happy that you're right in the middle of the city uh, to me and you're not you're not second guessing that with your office or anything like that absolutely not no i mean the city center is where we want to be yeah definitely um, and so tell me about your role then so you obviously told us a lot about the business what do you do um you know it's presumably quite a strategic role what is what is it you do at uh, hello soda it is yeah it's a strategic cto role um, looking after everything around technology within the business, uh, whether that's the product, whether it's the infrastructure, whether it's the the IT that's within there, um, but obviously mainly focused on the product and the strategy of that going forward and how we how we scale that globally to to our customer base and and the the needs that we're going to have for the the sales channels that we have coming forwards. Yeah, and before we came on, I think we were briefly chatting about some of the challenges around the moment i think a lot of businesses are facing the same kinds of things trying to prepare for the future but be conservative at the same time is that something that you're working with absolutely yeah you know there's there's loads of opportunities for our product in the marketplace and it's it's, it's about finding what are the right ones for us as a business uh, which are the ones that we can deliver well which are the ones that are going to be you know rewarding to us as a business so that, you know it's about being you know, cautious, um, but also very optimistic because there is, you know, a lot of opportunity out there. Did Did you notice any change in your business then, I suppose, from March pandemic time? Was there anything, you're obviously a very B2B business, but there must have been businesses that have come at you or maybe even moved away in that time. Any Anything you noticed? Yeah, absolutely. It was interesting times. It was actually from, from the statistics that we have out of our Salesforce system. It's the um, biggest list of customers and prospects that we've ever had um, coming through on, on the sales channels. You know, that was just, I think, because of the pandemic, lots of businesses, although they're cautious, they know that they need to make changes in order to get through. And one of the key changes in order to save costs and to make, be more effective is, is automation. So all the manual processes that they had in terms of boarding um, customers, um, doing manual fraud checks, etc. if they can just automate 10% of that, 20% of that, that can be a big thing for them. So we've seen a, um, a big increase in the number of prospects and, and interest in the products going forwards. Yeah, I'd like to add to that. I think it's, it's quite interesting. You mentioned the automation piece, which is a massive thing, as we know. But also, I think, depending on what sort of area you're looking at, I think there's probably been this this wave of wanting to move online for those businesses that have not necessarily had a massive online presence pre-COVID. Uh, and well pre-COVID, you know, we've seen it with how many retailers who've lost their businesses from the likes of Debenhams to, to Woolworths X amount of years ago. <laughs> I'm showing my age now. Woolworths, there you go. Um, great sweet shop though, wasn't it? Um, so, um, <laughs> so I think the, there has been that wave. And I think what, 
you're also probably seeing now is all of a sudden when when the pandemic did hit it super super exposed some of those companies that didn't have that presence and everyone's now running to catch up so i think it's a really really interesting time for tech generally whilst it's a very probably well we, we already knew this going in but also coming out i, I just can't I, i'm struggling to see where the high street will end up because the other thing is as well anyone that didn't shop online was forced to shop online to a degree and anyone that then started shopping online because they, that's the way that they had to do it realized this is great i click a button and it arrives at my house and everybody's happy i don't have to do anything so where does that go yeah but zach to come back to your you know a point that you and i made on a previous podcast about everyone's now working from home that doesn't and now and i was saying well that just mean it won't everyone just continue to work from home forever and more and you're saying no people like the office and i think people also like the high street not everyone but some people that is their preferred way to shop uh you know and that's how that's how they want to work and the same some people prefer to be in a, an office every day so that's going to be i think it's a preference thing yes people have been forced online and have discovered the joy but also some people are like can't wait till i get back into a clothes shop or a changing room or or whatever it is and and do it the old-fashioned way because that's my preference i don't know what you guys think what's happening is these people could argue it was a technology revolution 10 years ago or you know after the millennium etc etc and it's gone on and on and on i think we're probably seeing the, the the next sort of wave of it coming you know everyone is becoming super tech related you know from you know my mom my mom's like oh i know how to do that now and i'm like really so so there's just a huge demand and i just i just think that there's going to be a greater and greater and greater demand on technology you know i think you're in a, an amazing space i mean in regards to what you guys do um so i just think that it will continue to flow but i don't know i do think people will want to go to the city center but i just well i mean tech obviously been on the up for forever you know since we since it started really since 60s or 70s and it's just been climbing and climbing and climbing i think what's happened in 2020 is it's just changed the angle of the trajectory upwards because people have been forced online everyone's doing their zoom meetings people are not going to go back to driving three hours for a meeting anymore for a one-hour meeting some will some will have to or but people have sold stuff and been hired without ever going face to face in the pandemic so why would you force people to make an unnecessary journey which is not good for them or their time or your time or the planet so i mean you've been hiring people through the pandemic what was your experience of it like yeah it's it's strange um we were quite concerned about doing an interview fully remote and then once people were on board onboarding them fully remote without actually having them in the office apart from to pick up some equipment yeah but you know it was fine you know you just get on with it you do the the remote sessions you know it's okay it's not been yeah. a problem so, did you find we we had the same thing we had to onboard someone as well and it was like look bear with us we're learning here and you know it was all it was fine only one person i mean if you've been through a few people i guess you've improved over time you've gone well we should have done more of this and less of that was that you know some new experience maybe it is yeah we did a bit of um reading up about it as well so there's a few tech giants GitLab is one where they are 100% remote and they have quite a few publications about how they board people into their organization so kind of reading some of the aspects of that 
some of it maybe not so relevant because obviously they're a large corporate, um, so mm. a little bit different to how we do things. But I think as a startup that's fairly dynamic and fast paced, we can change things quickly. We can try things. If it doesn't work, we can try something else. That's part of the, of the benefits of being a smaller business. And I actually think, you know, from, from Simeon, I think business did adapt probably very quickly considering in regards to how they were onboarding people and how they were interviewing people because, you know, ultimately they're tech businesses, so they should be able to adapt pretty quickly. Um, but I think they did do that. And, and, you know, obviously I work with Simeon, so, so, I know, so I know that's happened. But I think the demand for, for certain skills is, is, is incredible at the moment. I really do. And I think it's very challenging to find certain skills that are out there. And I think that's a combination of the number of factors we talked about last week, we talked about Brexit. I think that's a factor. You know, there's not as many people that are coming into it. I think going back to the point that I mentioned a second ago, I think there's a lot of businesses that weren't necessarily online that all of a sudden are now wanting to come online. And because of that reason, there's more demand for certain people that are going to build websites or do development for them and so on and so on. So I think what's interesting as well is that the, the demand is probably outstripping the supply which is pushing everything up as well. Cost, I mean, no disrespect, but I see some incredible figures being banded about for what people are looking for, considering what they were on. Don't we, Simeon? <laughs> We've seen it where, you know, a certain salary, and then all of a sudden somebody's going, actually, I want this amount now, and you're like, really? So I certainly don't think that there is any site or sort of form of recession within the tech industry well I, you know i well, i think it's funny you said we're heading potentially into a recession or in a recession i don't know exactly but you know things are tough for some people and we're going to, we're looking at big unemployment that's what the office of national statistics is talking about like this time no sorry about mid-march next year will be at peak what you know but as you said there's no there's not happening in the tech industry so the tech industry is going like that it's sort of skyrocketing or at least climbing on an upward trajectory whereas the rest of the industry isn't and i just don't know how that's going to play out between sort of now and then if people are asking for pay increases because they they think they see the rest of the industry doing it or they leave their jobs and then someone else in another industry is at work it just doesn't seem to tally but i suppose that is what supply and demand is I think the, on that point, though, John, I think it's incredibly tricky because it, the, oh, it's so sad, but this is just life generally. And anyone that's been in business long enough knows that this is what life is. There's always winners and losers. And unfortunately, you know, at the moment, there's a lot of winners from this pandemic who were doing extremely well out of it. But as we can see with the hospitality industry, you know, I mean, it's on its knees in the travel industry to a degree. It's on its knees. You know, there's so many people that are going to be facing so much challenge over the course of the next next year you know losing the businesses who've worked hard for so many years it's terrible it's, it's it, I, I find it really really hard to see whilst we're seeing this in ours in many others you're just seeing you know it, it, going back to the tier thing i'm not gonna bring it up too much just a little one but when they announced that tier three you at manchester was going into tier three again my heart sunk for those people that were begging for this next three weeks to be able to open the bars and restaurants and at least stay alive it's so it's so challenging and yet from a tech perspective it's absolutely booming it's it's incredibly challenging Simon, mean, can i ask you a question then i'm hoping that uh, some of our listeners are uh, looking to get jobs at hello soda right at least stalking you online and found this uh, podcast so 
I mean, what would you say to them or anyone looking to work at your business? What, what would you be looking for in your next recruit? Or what makes them stand out? I think it kind of goes back to the conversation we had before about um, programmers and tech people with a, a commercial lens on them. And not necessarily commercial, but a wider aspect and a wider series of interests, not just around programming. We talk about DevOps, we talk about test first, you know, we talk about user experience and things like that. Having that kind of mindset so that they're not just writing that algorithm, they're thinking about how does that algorithm get to production? How, what happens to it in production? How do, we, how do I know that that's going to be part of a scalable ecosystem in production? Um, as well as maybe also then thinking about the commercial aspects and is this algorithm going to add value to the product? Are customers going to use it? So having that kind of wider aspect across tech and then beyond tech as well is kind of what we're always looking for. Well, I think it's brilliant. I think Dak probably agree that's useful in every business. I've got one more question for you and then I'll let Zach want to ask anything else, which is um, what would you have done? What advice would you give to your younger self? You know, now we're looking at where you are now. You're doing pretty well, right? You're doing a CTO of a very successful multinational business. So probably not a lot of things gone wrong. But was there anything you would have given yourself to say, do you know what? You should have not done mechanical engineering degree. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> I don't know. It's really hard because I do think back and said, oh, you know, it would have been better if I'd done this or that. But often the, the opportunity that then arose because I did something means I was then on the path that I'm in now. So it's pretty tough. I would have liked to have done more kind of data science-y kind of things maybe earlier on rather than coming to it in the past five years. Um, I know it is quite a new new um, thing, but I think, you know, there were certainly foundations of it in 2000, 2002 kind of at times. So um, I had the opportunity to do a bit more then. Um, I would have taken it up. Um, I could have known what I know now. It's a lot more accessible now, though, isn't it? I mean, you go back to the, that, that time, so 2000, 2003, when it was emerging, it was still very raw. Like, you could do it, but you need to know what you were doing. Yeah, like I haven't got any more questions. Zach, is there anything else you wanted? To, uh, have you read anything written? Are you looking at your iPad? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just been great to, to sort of chat. Yeah, to you. I mean, obviously, I've known Simeon for a while, and yeah. as you you mentioned before, you know, it's it's a really interesting time that we're going into. It's going to be fascinating to see how we come out of it. Um, I think tech will continue to drive forward, but I think lots of other people will probably struggle over the course of the next year or so. Um, I do hope the city centre continues to attract investment and attract talent and we can get back in there. But um, yeah, more importantly, it's been really pleasing having a chat with you, Simeon, and, and find out. And also the other thing I'd like to mention is I think Hello Soda is a fantastic name for a company, by the way. My wife always says to me, that has got to be the coolest company in town. And I'm like... I'm like, yeah, it's actually, it's a really cool name. Just, just before I finish off, do, do you know why it was called Hello Soda? Or is it just one of those ideas? The soda stands for social data. And then the hello, just hello. Yep. Wow. Okay. I'll tell her that. She'll probably be like, oh, right, okay, social data. Okay. She'll probably, but yeah, <laughs> she, she loved Hello Soda. She, she always says to me, that's great. When she can hear me on the phone, because obviously I'm spending all this time at home now. And I'm like, ah. You know, anyway, I'm waffling. There you go. We do get cold calls from businesses trying to sell us bottling plants. And <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Simeon Breen, thank you very much for coming on the show, CTO of Hello Soda. Thank you to uh, Giorgio, uh, Zach Giorgio as well for being uh, my co-host today. Um, as usual, if you want to get in touch with us, we're on uh, LinkedIn and we can also be emailed. We'll put the details in the link. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.